management is a never-ending sequence of challenges. So much of it is a study in the frailty of human beings. With young people, you have to try to impart a sense of responsibility. If they can add awareness to their energy and their talents, they can be rewarded with great careers. So says Alex Ferguson, then Sir Alex, in his second memoir from 2013. In his book on the absurd ascent of the most important man in football, Guardian critic Barney Ronay whizzed through the history of the gaffer, ending with a seven-page encomium of Sir Alex, who, at the time of publication in 2009, was building his final great United team. Ronay writes that Ferguson is the real colossus. The modern era is the Ferguson era, yet it's one which harks back to the glorious past of the manager. He has two moods, crossed or pleased. In public, he is a brilliant and indelible cartoon, instantly recognisable with his unshaded ferocity and an unyielding appetite for adversity. Let's go back to the 1970s. At East Stirlingshire, who were part-time and who paid him £40 a week, Ferguson lasted... Four months. He started off with eight outfielders and no goalkeeper. At half time in one game, he launched the tea tray into the air. He banned a director's son in law after the son in law wanted to miss a training session. Such sessions were competitive, and Ferguson would keep his players training until his own team won. Happily against Falkirk, East Sterling won 2 0. Michael Crick notes that in his first memoir, published in 1999, Ferguson rushes through his time at St Mirren as quickly as possible, perhaps because they were the only club who sacked him. Ferguson was arrogant and overbearing, according to the panel who adjudicated on the fairness of the way he was fired. Even after winning the league with them, there was a 28-game unbeaten run. He began as likely to be ordering toilet rolls or interviewing cleaners as arranging transfers, clearing snow off the pitch. By necessity, Ferguson had to work on promoting younger players, even driving a young Ali McCoist to training. Fans helped fund the purchase of a new player whom they had recommended to the gaffer themselves. And in return, Ferguson paid attention to the St Mirren fans, socialising with them twice a month at least and helping attendances shoot up from two to 11,000, creating a mood in the town of Paisley. The football was about excitement and entertainment. He also phoned up players' homes to check they were in the night before a game. Unfortunately, he fell out with the chairman, who suspected that Ferguson had lined up a new job and had sought compensation. He also did things without passing ideas through the board first. Crick has poured over the statements and smelt a rat. Luckily, he seemed to confess that he did know about Aberdeen 24 years after the fact. At St Mirren, he refused to speak to his secretary, conducting all communication through a 17-year-old assistant. When the club physio refused to go to Aberdeen with him, he was more or less shunned and not mentioned in the autobiography. When St Mirren lost to Wraith Rovers, Ferguson refused to shake hands with the opposition manager, who was my great mate. In his book, This is the One, Danny Taylor recounts a story Ferguson had told journalists when asked whether he had mellowed over the years. It was 1976. St Mirren has travelled to the Caribbean, a match versus Guyana. One of their players was being overly physical and, says Ferguson, I was getting more and more wound up. I wasn't even a sub, but I got my boots on and was going, let me at him. He came on and took him out, making his players swear never to tell the story. It was, Ferguson said, an example of his stupid courage. Billy Stark, who played under Ferguson at St Mirren, tells a great anecdote about an incident against Celtic. 
Celtic got a free kick around halfway, Billy says. I turned to jog back. They took it quickly, played it over my head to someone who crossed, and they scored. After the game, Ferguson went loopy. Suddenly, he threw a boot at me. Part of his method was to test players, to see if they have the stuff to go forward rather than buckle. I resolved to prove myself to him. I never again turned my back on the ball. Ferguson was happier at Aberdeen because out of the 12 non-playing staff paid by the club, three were former players who were on the board. They appreciated his huge vitality, which overpowered the messy tribunal, which saw him fired by St Mirren. Dick Donald ran the club as something like a hobby, having made his money with cinema chains around Scotland. The team thus travelled to Games Rights Crick in an old-fashioned transport bus with no radio and hard seats. Old locals were bootroom boys, while the Ferguson family disliked that they lived near the Undertakers, seeing hearses all day. With regard to Aberdeen as a city, the further north you go, the quieter people are. They take longer to forge friendships, but when they do, those ties run deep. Scott Simon was Alec Ferguson's mentor. Like Simon, he learned to never criticise players in public and exercise discipline. He was also told to ignore newspaper talk by his future mentor, Sir Matt Busby, and would delight in setting his youth players' quizzes in his office. This served to create a workplace bond between players and line manager. At Aberdeen, he moved the back line up the pitch closer to the opposition goal and significantly phased out star striker Joe Harper because of his lax attitudes to professionalism and fitness. Ferguson went to see countless young prospects for himself, sometimes more than once because he wanted to assess them in adversity against a stronger side or in wind and rain. He liked to meet the parents too. As an example of how Aberdeen upset the natural order, they lost only once in the eight league games against the Glasgow clubs in 1979-80. After losing to Liverpool in European competition the next season, when Aberdeen had played well at Anfield but were two down at half-time, Ferguson was so irate that he threatened to fine people if they even spoke after the game. His success up in Scotland led to offers from 4th Division team Sheffield United, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Tottenham Hotspur, who offered him a three-year deal but were scuppered by Cathy's reluctance to move down to London, and Arsenal. But Ferguson aspired to either Barcelona or Manchester United. Ferguson admitted that without his Aberdeen experience, he would have been poorly qualified to take over at United. In an interview in 1995, Ferguson recalled how the best motivation is a cause. First, it was beating the old firm... Then it was the West of Scotland press. Indeed, as Danny Taylor notes, Ferguson would keep track of which journalists would come up from Glasgow, 150 miles there, 150 miles back, who would call him Furious Fergie or just Furious. Also, say what you like about Jose Mourinho, but he would never fine one of his players for overtaking him while driving. To go back to 1978 when Ferguson took over at Aberdeen, they didn't have a training ground and would work during the week in the local park. Gordon Strachan told the recent documentary available on Amazon Prime that success was one trophy every six years and never the league title. After a draw against Rangers, Ferguson was wondering what the team was celebrating. Strachan thought the manager was a wounded animal. He put people under so much pressure to be successful. The team won that 79-80 title at Easter Road in a 5-0 win at Hibernian, but Ferguson was fined for bad language during the game towards officials. Having been banned for approaching them during or after the game, Ferguson was given a year's touchline ban. 
Ferguson's devotion to his work meant that it took precedence over family life. He forgot to buy his wife a Christmas present and put a cheque in the card. Cathy tore it in two and dropped it in the bin. He had married Cathy in May 1966, with whom he has enjoyed a blissful 55-year marriage, which has brought three kids, High Flyer Mark, the aforementioned Jason, and Jason's twin, Darren. Both twins turn 50 in 2022, the year that their dad turns 80. Cathy brought the kids up, and I'm not proud of that, Ferguson said in the documentary with Jason behind the camera, but that was the nature of my job. Cathy would always wait until her husband came home before she went to bed, a true lady, but she never forgave her husband for selling her son Darren, who had played first-team football for Manchester United. The issue was first-team football in a small squad, says Ferguson Sr. He sustained a really bad hamstring tear that kept him on the sidelines for three months. Then Roy Keane became available. More on that era in the next few days. Such devotion helped Aberdeen come from behind to beat Bayern Munich at Petodri in 1983 and meet a Real Madrid team managed by Alfredo Di Stefano in the final of the Cup Winners' Cup, which Aberdeen won in extra time with an all-Scottish eleven. It thus took Ferguson five years to win in Europe with Aberdeen, just as would happen with Manchester United. Unlike at United, there wasn't a public holiday after the team won the Champions League final. In Aberdeen in 1983, schools were off and Ferguson shook the hand of all 500 fans who had travelled to Sweden by boat to see them beat Real Madrid. Di Stefano commended how their opponents had a soul, a team spirit built in the family tradition. Days later, Aberdeen would play Rangers in the 1983 Scottish Cup final. The documentary shows Ferguson deluged by letters, including one from Liverpool's Bob Paisley, as well as the same icy stare he would use at United when an interviewer asked him about the Cup final he had played in against Celtic in 1969. Aberdeen's win was famously the game where Miller and McLeish played Rangers themselves. Both men, by the way, would captain the national team. No way we can take any glory for this, Ferguson said, despite winning the game. I can't understand why I did it. I wanted this to be the moment when we set ourselves as the best team Scotland had ever had. It was, of course, a redemption for what happened in 1969, as if winning in style would be more important than just winning. Celebration? It was more like a wake, said the deeply upset Gordon Strachan, who at least got an apology from the gaffer the next morning. Loyalty, writes Jonathan Wilson in his book The Anatomy of Manchester United, outranked almost everything else. It wasn't just at United where this was true. Two weeks before the Scottish Cup final in 1986, Eric Black told Ferguson he was leaving the club. The manager left out the striker. Aberdeen still won 3-0. On one occasion, Aberdeen lost a Scottish League Cup final replay because Ferguson kept the side from the original final in case he upset any of his players. A refreshingly candid version of his time at Aberdeen can be found in his 1985 book A Light in the North, which, unlike his other later ghosted memoirs, he wrote himself. It sold 27,000 copies, which, incidentally, is more than the number of fans who watched Aberdeen play Celtic towards the very end of his tenure. Mounted police were needed to control the queue of fans. As would happen at United... Players like Steve Archibald would see the battle with the manager as a way to keep them sharp. Sometimes Ferguson would wink at other players to tell them he was really joking, but other times he was genuinely angry. Also, as would happen at United, he would use local knowledge and the players' private lives to get at them. 
Aberdeen is a village and he knew everything that everyone was doing, says Stuart McKimmy in Michael Crick's book, while Neil Cooper knew that after away defeats, the journey would be spent in silence. You'd be frightened to put on a video. We used to watch all the best films on the trip down, just in case. The result of his time managing in Scotland was, according to Michael Crick, the hardening of a formula. Creating a group of players who saw things his way, wouldn't argue too much, and adopted the Ferguson philosophy of playing entertaining football plus constant effort and never accepting defeat. How's this for a stat? 17 Aberdeen players who played under Ferguson became managers, although only three, Strachan, McGee and McLeish, did so with any pedigree. Eric Black was one of those 17. He suggests that because Ferguson wasn't an elite player, it came less naturally. He had to consider what he was doing on the field and was intelligent enough to do so. Weeks before winning the Champions League, Ferguson was given the freedom of the city of Aberdeen to add to the OBE he had been invested with 15 years previously in 1984. As Rangers invested heavily and bought lots of English players who had been locked out of Europe by the Heysel ban down in England, Ferguson planned his exit. First, however... He spent the summer of 1986 in Mexico after he took over from the late Jock Steen as manager of Scotland. The team banter included the time when the players loosened all the light bulbs in his cabin and covered his loo with cling film. Craig Brown noted that Ferguson could take that sort of thing. He left out Dalgleish and Alan Hansen from the squad and Graham Souness from the match against Uruguay and was not offered the post full time. Meanwhile, Bobby Charlton had asked Scotland defender Arthur Olberston what training was like. When United slipped to fourth from bottom in Division 1 and were knocked out of the League Cup, Ron Atkinson was fired. Just like the library, 